In all areas, the UK continues to backtrack. The European Union argues that, that we, be, we should be subject to rules of the club that we have left. The precondition is the level playing field. Uh, we can deliver a real Brexit that achieves our objectives. But if there is not a deal, we still need the Irish Protocol or the Northern Irish Protocol fully implemented. I'm going to miss being the pantomime villain. Hello and welcome to Brexit Republic, RTE's podcast on Brexit. I'm Tony Connolly, RTE's Europe editor in Brussels. And I'm Sean Whelan, RTE's correspondent in London. And I'm Colm O'Mungoyne, RTE's deputy foreign editor in Dublin. Each week, Brexit Republic assesses all the latest Brexit developments in Brussels, London and Dublin. This week, Mr Poots comes to Dublin and Mr Coveney goes to London. We'll hear from both the DUP leader after his frank meeting with the Taoiseach Micheál Martin and from Simon Coveney after his frank breakfast meeting with Lord Frost. All, it seems, is not well. Ahead of next week's eagerly awaited meeting of the EU-UK Joint Committee, we'll assess why the optimism of a few months ago that a breakthrough on the Northern Ireland Protocol could be on the cards this month has given way to deep pessimism on the EU side. And as the UK continues to criticise the Protocol, or at least the EU's way of implementing it, we'll attempt to divine London's ultimate intentions and we'll find out why London believes the protocol is not a dog's best friend. But first, I suppose, Sean, let's start with you. You're in London, as always, but this morning Simon Coveney was meeting with David Frost. He spoke to you last night, and you've been getting some feedback on what went on in that meeting this morning. Let's start there. How did it all go? Well, the the, the word back we've got is that things went better than they uh, hoped they were going to go or thought they were going to go rather Uh, but expectations were pretty low last night uh, when we met uh, with Simon Coveney uh, because he had some pretty difficult things that he was going to have to say to Lord Frost about how the other countries in the EU are feeling about the what they regard as non-implementation of the Northern Ireland Protocol how trust has evaporated and how countries are now starting to think about the possibility of legal action or even uh, the possibility of trade disputes uh, of using some of the uh, dispute mechanisms in the trade and cooperation agreement that's the future relationship agreement to try and enforce things that should have been done as part of the withdrawal agreement and that of course is the northern ireland protocol so uh, things getting pretty unpleasant at the eu side of things a lot of frustration there by all accounts simon coveney had this meeting this morning spoke to Lord Frost, laid it out for him uh, in pretty stark terms uh, about what was happening, was listened to, and uh, they are a little bit hopeful that there might be some uh, forward momentum, but really they want to see actual output uh, in the coming days. I think at this point we should give you a little bit of a flavour of what he was going to say, presumably pulling his punches for the media and saving the good stuff for Lord Frost himself. Uh, this is what he was telling us last night about how the Irish and the EU side uh, see the possible malign scenario if things don't get start to get uh, addressed in terms of the, the Northern Ireland Protocol. More and more EU countries are asking the hard questions. We signed up to an agreement. It's not being implemented. Why not? Uh, and what are the consequences of that? 
Uh, and that is why I think we are at a moment now uh, when before this issue becomes a more controversial issue politically between the UK and the EU, uh, we really have to try to settle on some of the compromises and flexibilities and pragmatism that has been asked for uh, to actually make this protocol work. I don't think that the status quo is sustainable for much longer. And what I mean by that is uh, where you know, the EU is constantly trying to put ideas and proposals on the table uh, around flexibility and how it might work um, uh, and where that is not resulting in any agreement or any traction in terms of moving the process forward. Uh, I think there is a sense within the EU and within EU capitals uh, that, um, that, the, that the frustration uh, has got to result in, in the EU perhaps changing the approach uh, uh, and instead of constantly trying to offer solutions and flexibility, um, remind the UK that there are consequences to not implementing agreements that, are, that have a basis in international law. And from an Irish perspective, the last thing we want here is a legal standoff between the two sides uh, or retaliation uh, uh, on the back of, of non-compliance with international agreements. Uh, Ireland is looking for solutions that doesn't involve rancour or tension or standoffs, instead focuses on partnership and opportunities and of course a protection for a peace process that at the moment is very vulnerable. Um, and um, you know, anyone who speaks to political leaders in Northern Ireland will know that there is a real anxiety um, uh, in terms of what the future holds. Um, not just this summer, uh, but in terms of the medium term sustainability of the institutions of the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, these are big questions uh, and politicians need to show the ability uh, to give some leadership uh, uh, in a way that actually protects um, what is, I think, a very uh, vulnerable uh, political uh, atmosphere uh, 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 and set of conditions in Northern Ireland. Um, and that means um, following through on commitments that have been made, but also showing pragmatism and flexibility to respond to genuine concerns in Northern Ireland linked to the implementation of the protocol. Uh, and they are very real. Uh, they're not contrived or made up. Uh, I think we can do that, but the only way this can be done, really, uh, is if the British government and the European Commission act together uh, and sell it together and explain to people uh, why they're making the, um, the choices that they're making and the consequences of that. And this idea that all of our problems are linked to the protocol, uh, totally ignoring the fact that it is actually Brexit and an approach to Brexit that resulted in the need for the protocol in the first place uh, is, is a narrative that has unfortunately gained a lot of traction in the British media. Uh, and I think it is really only telling about 30% of the real story. Um, and if you're making decisions on the basis of incomplete information, uh, well, then you're making mistakes. Okay, well, that was, that was Simon Coveney speaking to you, Sean, in London last night. And uh, things aren't great between Simon Coveney and Edwin Poots, at least how Edwin Poots, the DUP, that's how Edwin Poots, the DUP leader, sees it. Although there's no reason to suspect that Mr. Coveney was avoiding Mr. Poots when Mr. Poots came to Dublin last night. He spoke to our Northern editor, Vincent Kearney, amongst other journalists outside of government buildings and sounded himself a very pessimistic note about the protocol. Okay, there we go. Yep. What a useful discussion uh, with Antisuk. Uh, Michael Martin. Uh, it was a very frank discussion, so 
uh, quite a lot of it was taken up with the protocol and the impact that it's having on Northern Ireland. Uh, I welcome his recognition of the impact that it's having on Northern Ireland, uh, the recognition that there's damage being done um, on uh, the east-west uh, relationship and economy. And uh, I welcome the fact that he uh, wants to help in resolving the problems around the protocol. And uh, those are all things which are very positive. Uh, we've discussed some other issues, but uh, all in all, it was a very positive meeting, a very frank meeting, and uh, as an engagement that I would hope that we can continue with in due course and helping to uh, re-establish better relationships once again north-south um, after the detrimental impact of the last government. On the basis that there is going to be a, a serious attempt uh, to uh, assist in dealing with the protocol, um, I believe that uh, we should uh, be seeking to um, help normalise relationships once again. Mr Coveney is meeting Lord Frost in London tomorrow. Did you get any indication of any movement on the protocol? Um, well, Mr Coveney is probably going to be pushing Lord Frost to do something that the United Kingdom government don't want to do. Uh, so I believe that there may be uh, other solutions and we discussed other solutions uh, with Michael Martin uh, as to how we might resolve uh, the issues of the protocol. Are those other solutions other than abandoning the protocol then? Um, well, certainly the protocol is not fit for purpose. Uh, what we aren't abandoning is any notion that there should be uh, any barriers in the, in the island of, of Ireland. I don't believe that there should be any uh, barriers on the island of Ireland. Uh, nor do I believe that there should be uh, detriment to trade between Northern Ireland and Great Britain. And I also believe that we should protect the single market. And I believe that there's a so solution um, in that. And that is what we should be aiming to achieve that we don't have those barriers to trade between Northern Ireland and Great Britain, uh, but we also ensure that there's no barriers exist on the island of Ireland. And what was Michael Martin's response to those solutions that you proposed? Well, he's given these things thought. Um, not, none of it's going to be easy. If there was an easy resolution, it would probably be found a long time ago. All of these things require work and effort. So, Tony, what we heard there from Edwin Poots is, again, a belief that the protocol is unimplementable and laying it out in pretty stark terms there, both his, his grievance with the Simon Coveney-Leo Varadkar combination and saying that he had a constructive relationship with Michal Martin and, and a constructive discussion there. But North-South relations are all very well and good, but the real business on this is going to be done between Brussels and London. So from the Brussels point of view, how does rhetoric from Edwin Poot saying that the protocol is unimplementable going down. People in Brussels and other member states would probably feel that Edwin Putz has been put up to this in a sense by London and that the rhetoric from London uh, and the constant sniping against the protocol and the way the European Commission is trying to implement it has raised expectations among unionists and created a space for Edmund, Edwin Putz to come in and say yes you see this is not implementable uh, and it has to be replaced. Um, and overall, there is a convergence of views that the UK is really on a, a worrying trajectory, and that's why this pessimism has been abroad. Uh, first of all, 
they haven't implemented what they promised they would implement in terms of border control posts, permanent border control posts to do the checks and controls on live animals and on uh, animal products. Um, the, they, they are still not complete and there seems to be still a lot of vagueness as to when they will be complete. They were supposed to have granted the EU full access to import databases by the end of April. That apparently hasn't happened. But it's also the fact that the UK appears not to be engaging with the EU at technical level to try and find ways uh, to implement the protocol less onerously. Um, that combined with the, the rhetoric about the protocol uh, having to be replaced or whatever, um, all of this is conspiring to, to f convince the EU that the UK is on a path of, of trying to wreck the protocol or kill it by a thousand cuts or dilute it to the extent that they think they will get permanent derogations. And again, this week, Edwin Putz himself announced that he was going to unilaterally extend the deadline for uh, controls for pets coming into Northern Ireland from GB. Basically, under the protocol, animals or pets coming in from outside from a third country need to have uh, showed their rabies free. They have to have a, a, a anti-tapeworm injection. They need a microchip. They need all sorts of paperwork. And because of the effect this will have on people moving back and forward with pets, this is seen as, as a, a grievous, uh, you know, uh, burden on ordinary people in Northern Ireland with pets, and uh, he has decided that that will, that requirement will be again pushed back until October. But this has not been agreed with the EU, and it's another example of a unilateral action, and this has caused the Commission, in the person of Maro Shevchevich to really say that, look, we, we're running out of patience. This is not the way to act as a partner on the protocol. Yes, we understand these are problematic areas. We've known about this for a long time. The UK knew exactly what it was getting into when it signed up to the protocol. All of these details were thrashed out over a period of two and a half, three years. Uh, and you can't come now and tell us that you didn't know what you were signing right. up to or that it's all uh, far too difficult. Uh, maybe if, if both of you could come in on this, because, Sean, you were saying earlier today that what the message Simon Coveney was delivering to David Frost was in a way to represent the views of what governments are saying about the, the protocol. If both of you could maybe give us a flavour of what the concerns of European governments are. The Commission is obviously the keeper of the laws and is ticking boxes and making sure things are implemented. But what are the broader concerns of European member states who must also have similar fears to Ireland that disruptions to trade will hit them at a very vulnerable time when they're trying to recover from COVID and get things back open again? Well, I think the fear is that the British are going to try and uh, achieve objectives that they failed to achieve in the negotiation by using, uh, as the uh, European side would see it, guerrilla tactics of simply not implementing things that they had agreed to implement and opening up effectively uh, a big hole in the wire of the EU's uh, external border and basically disregarding the agreement that they had made and over time hoping that the EU gives up trying to get these uh, 
admittedly somewhat difficult issues implemented, um, but essentially they're hoping that the uh, the Brit they as they say it they hope that the British uh, want to see the EU giving up the will to carry on fighting on this, and of course that would then open up problems with other countries because if the British were to get away with uh, getting uh, their way uh, in terms of their relationship with the EU and their trading relationship with the EU and having this part in part out uh, relationship, other countries uh, would be likely to come along and say, look, the British have got special deals, we want special deals. Uh, and then you have the prospect of the British doing trade deals with places like Australia or Brazil or the EU, uh, United States, importing uh, goods in particular that would not be uh, acceptable in the European market, but then you would have this open border to the rest of the European Union, and that would create further difficulties right. there. So I, I think they want to try and nip this one in the bud. They want to get the British to do what they have agreed to do uh, and put a stop to potential other problems opening up. Uh, because, uh, again, as they see it, uh, the British uh, have simply not done what they were supposed to do and are hoping to get away with it and by doing so change the terms of their uh, relationship and their trading relationship uh, with the rest of the European Union and achieve objectives that they fail to achieve in the negotiations. Right. Who specifically, Tony, who would be sort of leading the charge in articulating these concerns to both the Irish government, uh, to the European Commission as well, to say, look, enough is enough. If something doesn't get solved soon in terms of implementation, we're going to need enforcement action. Well, th this this goes to the the whole narrative on the UK side, uh, and it's you know it's perpetuated by columnists in in the British media that the European Commission has taken this theological approach to the protocol, you know, sticking to very rigid dogmatic rules in terms of implementing it. Whereas the UK says, oh come on, you have to be pragmatic and flexible. Uh, and after all, peace like, in Northern Ireland is a, is at stake. Right, um, like they're being but, flexible about sovereignty and the idea of sovereignty, and not at all <laughs> theological. Exactly. <laughs> uh, th this is it. Now, you know, in in fact, it's the member states who are absolutely determined that the integrity of the single market is um, is upheld. When you talk to officials in the Commission, they'll say that Mara Shevchevich has to has to walk a very fine line between being as flexible as he can in the discussions with the UK while not giving the goods away or not bending the rules out of shape in order to facilitate that flexible approach. Uh, and, and you hear time and again that Berlin and Paris will be the first to jump in if there is anything uh, that he agrees to with the UK that uh, undermines the integrity of the single market. And I suppose that in the wider context, you know, Ireland, of course, has a major issue here it is it it has material and sovereign and historic interests in the protocol working but there are other issues out there that have left eu member states absolutely fuming uh, and indeed mara shevchevich briefed eu ambassadors on thursday and i understand that the french uh, side were uh, really angry about the fisheries question other member states were angry at the fact that some of their citizens would turn up in the UK naively uh, saying that they had come for an au pair interview or so on and find themselves locked up 
because of the new Im immigration uh, rules and what you might call a, a kind of a hostile environment uh, allegedly directed at EU citizens coming in without work visas. Um, so there, there is a, a, you know, a broad sense of frustration and exasperation at the UK and a feeling that this has gone on long enough and instead of next week being a moment where all of this technical work, work would bear fruit and they'd have a roadmap to show this is how the UK is going to meet its obligations with these timelines and these milestones and this is how the EU is going to put in place all these flexibilities. Instead, it looks like Maros Shevchevich having to read the Riot Act uh, to David Frost saying right. that this idea of constantly sniping against the protocol, introducing unilateral measures um, and raising expectations among unionists uh, on the threshold of the marching season, that, that that is simply not going to work. Right. Well, I mean, but once the Riot Act is read, then the enforcement action has to be taken. I mean, you, you can't make empty threats. And on the other side of things, I suppose, you know, listening to Edwin Poots, as we did at, at the start, he says he doesn't want a border on the island of Ireland. He understands there has to be protections in place for the single market. And he says there are solutions so what is Mara Shevchevich trying to focus the minds of the British government on? Is this is is the solution as the EU sees it still some alignment on veterinary SPS and food standards or is anything else being looked at? Well, well in, in I mean, a sense, what's happened this morning here in London is a, a pre-reading of the Riot Act, uh, if you like, by Simon Coveney, uh, effectively telling Lord Frost the Riot Act will be read right. uh, next the heads Wednesday of the riot when Act. you guys meet in London. But there's a couple of days between now and then uh, in which uh, officials might actually get together and might actually uh, crack a few uh, portfolios open and start to make a bit of progress. And this would be a, a sign of goodwill. Uh, but if there isn't that sign of goodwill, if there isn't actually tangible product coming then, yeah, you're right, enforcement actions do tend to follow. And whether that suits countries like Ireland that would have a very heavy uh, trading relationship with Britain and vice versa, Ireland is one of the top 10 trading nations for the United Kingdom, uh, lest we forget. Uh, that would be very damaging uh, for Ireland. It would be damaging for France, which also has a, a fair bit. Germany, of course, a much bigger trading relationship than, than France. Uh, but even that has uh, slipped away. As we mentioned last week, China has now overtaken Germany as, as Britain's uh, top uh, import partner. So, you know, some countries have, have less to lose uh, in terms of an enforcement action going ahead, even though it would be generally pretty bad for all concerned, um, particularly as we've seen uh, a, a fairly sharp decline in British exports uh, to the EU uh, as a result of Brexit, or we presume it's a result of Brexit. We, we discussed those kind of figures last week. As Tony mentioned, the, the fisheries issue with the French and also the uh, sending in of a couple of Navy patrol boats, the gunboat diplomacy happening as it happened on the day of elections taking place uh, here in England, Scotland and Wales, uh, treated rather cynically uh, by other European countries. Uh, again, a sign of the, the lack of trust uh, that's going on there, but the French certainly uh, not feeling uh, at all happy about the way the fisheries issue has been handled in Italy, of course, but with especially uh, whose citizens have been detained here, Mario Draghi making mention of that. But of course, Mario Draghi, and President Macron and Chancellor Merkel are all going to be meeting with Boris Johnson at the end of next week in the G7 as well. So right. uh, 
the heat is starting to come on this week. There's no doubt about that. Right. Tony, the G7 next week in terms of applying pressure, there was, it was interesting that yesterday, as we record this on Friday, Tony Gardner, former US ambassador to the EU from 2014 to 2017, said on Twitter, it would be good if President Biden before the G7 clarifies to the UK the importance the US attaches to the Good Friday Accords. The UK signed the Northern Ireland Protocol and knew its contents. Then he says veterinary equivalents would go a long way to smoothing tensions, which is a very interesting coming from a US perspective, because if a trade deal is to be cut with the US, as we've said umpteen times before between the, themselves and the UK, agricultural access would be one of the things and high alignment with the EU might be a barrier to that. So it's interesting to see a US voice expressing the opinion that, look, if the Good Friday Agreement is to be protected and the Northern Ireland Protocol implemented veterinary equivalence is the way forward on that yeah i mean i, I suppose you could say that that you know anthony gardner is is free to make those kind of comments he's not part of the biden administration but there's no doubt that that europe is looking to that relationship that ireland has with joe biden and the influence that joe biden can bring to bear on the uk at the moment i mean they they, they don't think this is a small jigsaw in the puzzle they think this could be very significant and it's interesting that as far as I'm aware, David Frost will also be at the G7 meeting uh, next week, which indicates that he will feel the need to try and smooth a few feathers uh, on that front. But in terms of you know what 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 can be done, I mean there has been a lot of work at technical level to make the protocol less onerous. Um, what the Commission is going to do now is they're going to write up four papers or documents that will be for pretty much internal consumption uh, among member states to show them look this is all of the these are all the flexibilities that we have discovered that we can bring to bear uh, when it comes to medicines when it comes to uh, sanitary and phytosanitary rules uh, when it comes to steel imports and and tariffs and when it comes to um, the question of VAT on second-hand cars, again, right. that issue that we really must get into well, over these yeah. weeks. But is the tone uh, of and, those and, documents, and the idea is, is it the idea thus far is, and is no to, further? No, it's, it's to show that the Commission has not been sitting on its hands because this is to try and rebut that narrative that is relentlessly coming from the UK, that the Commission is sitting in its sort of citadel, stroking a white cat and being dogmatic about its precious single market at the expense of peace in Northern Ireland. Mm. And the Commission wants to say, look, we are stretching every sinew to find flexibilities. And while we're doing that, the UK goes off and doesn't pulls another unilateral lever uh, or snipes about the protocol or about the EU being terrible you know, theocrats, etc., etc., uh, and this is also an exercise in trying to convey to the wider civil society in Northern Ireland that the Commission is doing its absolute best, uh, and and that it, but it, but that it can't do it if the UK goes as it would see it rogue uh, every couple of weeks. Well, Sean, that's just what we had earlier with Simon Coveney precisely making that point that the EU is putting out papers to the British side, making offers all the time, and nothing is coming back apart from these allegations in the media that the EU is being inflexible. And in fact, just as we've been talking here, uh, up has popped uh, a screenshot on my uh, computer screen here from the uh, Daily Express, Brexit Live. The headline is, give in or else Ireland tells Boris to do as it says or face legal action. Uh, and then it goes on to uh, basically 
copy and paste large chunks of the article I wrote for RTE.ie last night, uh, <laughs> quoting, quoting Simon Coney saying exact opposite. We don't want to get into legal actions or trade disputes with the UK, no. but we really need to. Nor, nor, nor does this podcast. Not, nor does this podcast. We're not going to accuse the Daily Express of cutting and pasting large tracts of your blog, even if they. Uh, do show similarities in content but Sean you know I mean okay they're pretty emotional terms that we see in the UK media and there does seem to be quite emotional language used there but I mean if you look at the demeanour of Simon Coveney he actually seems emotionally invested in this if you look at Edwin Poots he too seems emotionally invested in this Mara Shevchevich on the Andrew Marr show he seems to be emotionally invested in it and when we saw David Frost in front of the Lords and the Commons committees the other week I mean, he was sitting there looking relatively unconcerned and maybe it's just his natural facial expression, but he seemed to smirk his way through most of that. He doesn't seem too bothered. No, he's not too bothered. And he's been getting some fairly pointed questions from uh, his learned colleagues in the House of Lords. And and a lot of them are learned colleagues. A lot of people who are uh, very senior Eurocrats or senior foreign office former officials, uh, one or two ex-commissioners in there, uh, people who know their stuff uh, and are asking him pretty sharp questions. Lord Kerr has even popped up, the man who wrote Article 50 itself. Uh, But again, Lord Frost is fending these uh, questioners off. Uh, As he sees it, he's in there to do a job, which is to push really hard against the European Union uh, that Michael Gove wasn't pushing hard enough. Lord Frost may come back to uh, Boris Johnson and say, look, we've probably gone as far as we can go with the European Union. Uh, We've probably pushed it as hard as we can push it. It might be time to settle now. And given their long history of working together, uh, the expectation might be that uh, Boris Johnson would say, OK, I know you're a a player of the hard ball. You've probably got the deal as far as you can get it. Let's settle at this point. On the other hand, we may be completely wrong. It's extremely hard to read Boris Johnson. Uh, perhaps he genuinely meant it when he said at those meetings uh, in, in Northern Ireland uh, about if you get paperwork from the EU, just rip it up and throw it in the bin. Uh, none of it's ever going to apply to you. So we'll have to wait and see. But certainly this week coming, I think the pressure is going to be on for uh, some kind of a settlement through. You've had this Coveney meeting now. You've had this Uh, Joint Committee with Shevchevich coming up on uh, next Wednesday. Joe Biden is having a meeting uh, in Downing Street with Boris Johnson on Thursday. Then you've got the G7 meeting over the weekend. I mean, if that doesn't amount to a fair bit of pressure on uh, a regime over a pretty concerted period of days, I don't know what is. Tony, if the US were to display a similar attitude to Tony Gardner as, as, as we were listening to what he had to say in his tweet there, I mean, it, it, could that business be done at the G7 or is there any expectation of that? What's, what's, well, the, what's the best hoped for outcome from the G7 from the European point of view? Well, just to focus on, on the question of an SPS agreement, which would do, do away with 80% of the checks and controls on the Irish Sea. I mean, and, and keep the, British farmers to, pretty happy if, if, they, ab- if their own yeah, farmers' reps or anything. That's the is, other thing, yeah. 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 And consumers, uh, you, know, you know, health consumers, uh, you know, people who are interested in food in general. I mean, there, there's a sort of a sequencing here. First of all, the UK would have to agree to some kind of veterinary agreement with the EU, which uh, would keep the UK in line with EU food safety and animal health rules. That could be done quite quickly, I'm told. It could be a short 
agreement because the UK is still pretty much aligned at the moment. Uh, the, and the UK could have some kind of language saying that as a sovereign government, we reserve the right to rescind this agreement uh, whenever we want, which would then create a an opportunity for the UK to do that if they were to, to strike a free trade agreement with the US. Um, now, we don't know when that will happen, what the terms of it will be, whether Congress will absolutely demand access for US agricultural products in the UK, um, or whether Joe Biden can somehow decouple the, the US agriculture lobby from the complexities of the Northern Ireland Protocol, meaning that an SPS agreement between the UK and the EU might last uh, some time. Uh, again, th- these are sequencing questions which are very hard to you know, predict, uh, given the fact that David Frost has said, you know, absolutely categorically that the UK will not align with the EU's food safety rules uh, full stop uh, and it seems that Edwin Putz has, has also turned his face against any SPS agreement because he says that would just be a temporary fix uh, but a temporary fix might be might give you four years of breathing space and take you right up to the, the point at which the Northern Ireland Assembly uh, has to give its consent to the protocol or Articles 5 to 10 of the protocol. Um, and the question then is, does Edwin Putz prefer to have this state of turbulence and uh, friction between the EU and the UK because that keeps his party relevant and gives it that electoral edge mm. in the run-up to next May's uh, Assembly elections. Right. Well, I suppose it should be remembered that the border in Ireland was supposed to have been a temporary fix, subject, subject to review by a boundary commission, and the same border that was supposed to be a temporary fix is still with us many years later. All right, let's look ahead uh, to the G7, Sean, and, and the kind of choreography around that and, and what, what's coming up. There's the special uh, joint committee um, meeting between Shevchevich and um, David Frost that we've been talking about. I mean, that's due to happen here in London on Wednesday. Uh, and then, uh, as we mentioned, you've got the President of the United States coming in on Thursday for bilateral meetings uh, with Boris Johnson before they all decamp down to uh, Cornwall uh, in St. Ives in a little resort there to stay as far away from everybody as possible, uh, including the, the, the seething media mob who will be 47 kilometers away um <laughs> covid safe i'm told um so yeah that that's going to be a, a, a sort of an interesting meeting as i say uh, from a brexit point of view if you have draghi merkel macron charles michel ursula von der leyen on one side of the table if they were to stray into issues about brexit at the mm. table i'm sure try and keep them away from the, the uh, uh, plenary sessions, but you know you could picture at half the table uh, against the summit host, and then depending on what way things may or may not hop with Joe Biden, and then you've got Canada and Japan interested spectators who do a lot of business with the EU looking on from the side. I mean, it, it has the potential to be a, a pretty ugly looking scene, right? Uh, if it gets to that stage, I'm sure the British will try and make it not get to that stage. And if Simon Coveney is right, and that there are a few days to try and pull something out of the fire between now and Wednesday uh, in that EU-UK meeting, uh, then there's 
still hope there's still possibility there but it's looking pretty slim i have to say right okay well it sounds like an irish family dinner so joe biden be quite quite at home with that tony yeah well i mean obviously all the action as shauna said is is around the joint committee meeting next week in london of course there there is also the the first meeting of the partnership council that's the the body that brings together both sides to implement the trade and cooperation agreement the future relationship maro shevtovich again is the man in the chair there and that will be pretty much a uh, get to know you, uh, let's relaunch this relationship in terms of the future trade agreement. Um, they've already got a fisheries deal on on tax and quotas, total, total, total allowable catches and quotas to improve the mood music there. But of course, the huge elephant in the room will be the Northern Ireland Protocol and whether or not the EU can get itself back onto a proper footing with the UK, given the, the, the allegations of bad faith and... Uh, you know, egregious behaviour on the UK side with unilateral actions and so on and all of the other rhetoric and uh, stuff we've heard around fisheries and gunboats and so on. Uh, But the the big question will be, what do they agree at this joint committee meeting? From what I gather, at at this stage, they they don't even expect a joint statement from it. That's how bad the mood was yesterday, uh, being Thursday. But as Sean says, you know, we, we have a few days where some rabbits right. could be pulled out of out of hats okay. to, to help things along. OK, well, you're on leave, I think, next week, Tony. So it's going to be just myself and yourself, Sean, trying to tie all of that UK action up in a bow. So as, as luck would have it, it's all happening uh, in your neck of the woods. But for this week, that's it from me, Colm O'Mungoyne, RT's Deputy Foreign Editor in Dublin. For me, Sean Whelan in London. And for me, Tony Connolly, RT's Europe Editor in Brussels. Thanks for listening.